Good morning, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here. What a delight to be with you this morning. Please take out your copy of Scripture and uh, turn into Matthew chapter 7. We're going to be in verses 21 to 23. And this is our second to last message in the Sermon on the Mount. It's been a great ride for me. I hope it has been for you. And I'm looking forward to diving in yet one more time uh, together. Well, uh, it was Christy and my anniversary this past week, and, and after 21 years of marriage, I did a little reflecting, and, and one of those things that I noticed is that 21 years has not been without a few challenges along the way. And, and, and see, one, one of the challenges that's presented in a recurring way for us is, I, I'm a words guy. Go figure, huh? <laughs> I'm a words guy. I like words. And so in my relationship with Christy, I don't find it hard to express myself verbally. I, I can do that pretty naturally. I can tell Christy I love her in a variety of ways. The problem is that Christy is not so much a words gal. <laughs> See, uh, she doesn't primarily feel loved by what I say. In fact, you might say for Christy, talk is kind of cheap, <laughs> And, and, and what she really loves is when I do things for her, when, when I get a honey-do list done, or when I do the dishes, or I take out the trash, or I, I clean the bathroom, especially if she doesn't ask me to do it, and I just do it, and especially if I don't expect anything in return. And so after 21 years of marriage, you'd think I'd have that figured out. I, I don't. I'm still wrestling with it. I'm still working on it. But here's what I know. If I want Christy to feel loved by me, I mean really feel loved by me, it's best not to, not to simply tell her, but instead to demonstrate it. For Christy, actions speak louder than words. And of course, friends, actions speak louder than words in a variety of relationships, don't they? And not just in marriage, in, in business relationships. You know, someone can make an amazing sales pitch. They can say all the right things, but if they don't bring the goods, then they're not much use to us, are they? And, and in friendships and family, people can say, look, I'm here for you no matter what. But, but if when push comes to shove, when the time comes where we really need them, if they're nowhere to be found, then what does that say about our relationship? In politics, politicians can make these grandiose promises, and they do all the time. But if they renege on those promises shortly after being elected, then who's going to vote for them again? It's just not the way it works. And see, in, in relationships, in life, talk is cheap in a variety of ways. And I, I think Christy's on to something. After 21 years, I'm finally figuring that out. <laughs> it's good. And friends, the same is true in our relationship with God. I mean, how many of us at one point or another have climbed up onto a mountaintop, had a great experience with God, made these big promises to God, and only to come down in a few months or, or weeks or even days later, we pull back from our commitments. We, we renege on what we said we would do with and for God. You know, we might say the right things in our relationship with God. We might make the right confessions. We might even go through the motions of, of ministry. But if all we're doing is giving lip service to our faith, then, then are we, we really any different than those scribes and those Pharisees that we've been talking about here for the last few months? And see, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, after Jesus' teaching, his, his marvelous teaching on, on the character and the conduct of kingdom living in an upside-down world, after Jesus warns us to enter through the narrow gate and then to walk the narrow road, after he warns us against the allure of false prophets, he now brings it even closer to home, <laughs> as if you thought he couldn't get any closer. Here, here he is. And he warns us. This is a, this is a stern warning. That if all we're doing is giving lip service to our faith, we might not actually be of the faith. We might not actually be 
of the faith. I want you to hear Jesus' words here in what is perhaps, I think, one of the most sobering passages in all of Scripture. This is Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Are you ready? We'll do this together, okay? Here we go. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Kind of takes your breath away, doesn't it? I mean, did we hear Jesus right? Did he actually say that not everyone who makes a confession of faith is going to enter the kingdom of heaven? Is that what he said? I mean, we've been hanging on every word of Jesus throughout this entire sermon. We've, we've nodded. We've amened from Matthew 5, 1 to Matthew 7, 20. You go, Jesus, preach it. This is good. We need this. But then just as we think the plane is landing, just as we're ready for the warm fuzzies to peak, Jesus drops this bomb on us. He drops a bomb. And it's jarring. Verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, some who confess Jesus as Lord have not actually made Jesus their Lord. Some who profess faith and think that they're saved may actually not be saved. In other words, their faith is a false faith. And see, it's based on what they say, but not demonstrated by what they do. It turns out that talk is cheap in the kingdom of heaven, just as it is in many other places. And in this sobering message, we do well to pay attention to what Jesus means here. And so for the people that Jesus describes here, their their faith is all talk and no action. It's all talk and no action. Look again what Jesus says in verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Only the one who does my Father's will, says Jesus. Now, here's a word, again, that we reviewed last week. It's the word poieo, and it's the word that gets translated do here in the tense does. And and again, like last week, Jesus said that the prophets ought to be authenticated by their fruit, and the fruit of a prophet is not only in what they teach, but also in what they do, right? We, we, We can understand, we can discern between false prophets by looking at what they do. Well, the same can be said for disciples. Our claims only go so far as our conduct. And see, I can tell Christy I love her, but I prove it by what I do. And church, this is a dangerous reality. We can say all the right things. We can go to Sunday school. We can have the Jesus answer every time. We can even know the right theology. We we can even explain the particulars of the gospel, of salvation. But unless we do the will of the Father, we're not guaranteed kingdom entry. Now, how many people's blood pressure just went up a little bit? (laughs) Anybody? Mine did as I studied this text, right? Jesus, what do you mean here? 
Are you actually saying that salvation is by works? Do you disagree with Paul? Because I've been pretty clear. In fact, I've rejected the idea that salvation is by works. I'm not there anymore. I'm over here now. So if you're telling me I got to go back over here, I'm not sure I'm in. Is that really what you're saying, Jesus? Hang with me here, okay? But before we answer that, we want to observe some particulars here in verse 21 that are going to help us as we try to understand what Jesus means here. And first, I want you to notice this. I want you to notice that the one who may not enter the kingdom is still addressing Jesus as Lord, okay? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, to address Jesus as Lord strikes me as very appropriate, doesn't it? (laughs) Is Jesus Lord? You bet. You bet. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. That's the polite, that's the appropriate way to communicate with Jesus. He is Lord. But to have polite communication with Jesus doesn't guarantee a secure relationship. Okay? Simply to have polite, appropriate communication with Jesus doesn't secure our place with Him as well. Just because I say to Christy, honey, I love you, which is quite appropriate in a marriage context, doesn't prove that I actually do. There's got to be more behind those words. Church, not everyone who speaks appropriately to Jesus enters the kingdom. That's one thing. Now, second, note that that addressing Jesus as Lord is quite accurate theologically. It's quite accurate theologically. You see, we can have the right doctrine. We can have our act together uh, doctrinally. We can say the right stuff about Jesus. We can even repudiate false prophets. We can point out their distortions. But, but that's not enough, says Jesus. Not everyone who has right doctrine will enter the kingdom of heaven. And third, note the twofold repetition here. Jesus says, verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not just Lord, but Lord, Lord. We're we're zealous uh, in this context uh, about what we say. We can speak with all kinds of emotion and conviction and sincerity, but, but just as politeness and correct doctrine aren't enough to enter into the kingdom, neither are zeal and sincerity. And church, this is a real danger for us in our culture, I, I believe. We often evaluate a person based not so much on what they say, not so much on what they do, but on their sincerity. Do they really seem to mean what they're saying? But friends, we, we can be sincerely wrong, can't we? <laughs> you ever been sincerely wrong? Ask Christy, she'll tell you all the times that I have. Not everyone who is sincere will enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. (laughs) I love the way Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it. He says, "There's, there's the danger of trusting your faith instead of Christ, of trusting your belief without really becoming regenerate. That means being born again. That means being made new in Christ. He says, it's a terrible possibility. There, there are people who have been brought up in a Christian home and atmosphere who have always heard these things and in a sense have always accepted them and have always believed and said the right thing, but they still may not be Christians. Sobering, right? Jesus said at the beginning, you, you might remember it in chapter 5, verse 20, he said, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Church, if the character and conduct of the kingdom has no place in our lives, if our faith is all talk and no action, we've we got to slow down. We've got to take a hard look at what's going on. We've got to do some soul reflection here. And I think that's what Jesus means for us to do as he begins to wrap up this massive teaching. Where do we stand with God? Is the teaching becoming a part of who we are? He continues, look at verse 22. He says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Jesus says on that day, and he's referencing the day of judgment. He's linking back to the Old Testament and other places in the New where that future day when God's reckoning will occur as he sends his son back. On that day of judgment, Jesus says, many people will realize not only that they've been all talk and no action, but also perhaps that they've made the right moves with the wrong motives. They've made the right moves with the wrong motives. They've done good things for the wrong reasons, and thus they too will not enter the kingdom. Do you notice here? You can actually prophesy in Jesus' name and still have a false faith. You can say true things about Jesus, and yet if your motive is is to simply win an argument, (laughs) maybe to prove how smart you are, the antithesis of the Beatitudes, right? Right? The the true things you say do nothing to demonstrate your fitness for the kingdom. Just look at what Paul said in one of the most famous passages uh, in his writing, 1 Corinthians 13. He said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. Church, prophesying in Jesus' name doesn't prove true faith. It doesn't disprove it, okay? It's not saying that if you prophesy, you're not of the faith. There's a difference. But it doesn't prove it either. It requires more. Neither does casting out demons. Even in the name of Jesus. That's surprising, isn't it? But but consider Judas. Judas. In Matthew 10, Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, including Judas, and the text is very specific. Judas was uh, among them. And they all went out, and among other things, they cast out demons in the countryside, in the towns into which they visited. They drove out impure spirits. Now, it's clear from the rest of the Gospel accounts, Judas is not a part of the kingdom of heaven. He had rejected Christ. He had said no to Jesus. And yet even Judas was participating in casting out demons. And then finally, Jesus says that even many who perform miracles in His name may not enter the kingdom. I want you to consider this. Look at I'm good with words. Consider 2 Thessalonians 2, 9 and 10. Listen to what Paul says. He says, The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He'll use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. Church, there's there's coming a lawless one, an antichrist, who will do miraculous things that appear to be of God, and yet he'll be deceptively dangerous. Not even miracles prove true faith. 
Now, the presence of miracles doesn't, doesn't say the opposite. It doesn't say that true faith isn't there. There's just not enough themselves to prove it, okay? And here's the bottom line. The appearance of good doesn't guarantee the presence of good. And, and church, this is why the charismatic gifts aren't a reliable test of maturity. Some claim that believers must have an experience of of a second baptism of the Spirit which which manifests in certain signs, which proves the genuineness of their faith and and the maturity of it. But but church, I I just don't see that in Scripture. And this is one text that helps bring clarity on that. I'm not saying those gifts prove otherwise. Okay, So, So hear me clearly. I'm not speaking out against those gifts. But Jesus clearly teaches you can have all the right things to say, but if you're all talk and no action, you might have a false faith. You you can demonstrate all the right moves, but but do that with the wrong motives. You can even look like a Christian, even in charismatic expression, but if you've got the right moves and the wrong motives, you might have a false faith. Those things don't prove the faith. And so then he says this, And may this never be said of of any of us here, church. But he says, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. To get stiff-armed by by Jesus. What What a sobering thought. What a penetrating thought. Church, if you find yourself in these categories, all all talk, no action, or right moves, wrong motives, you must face the possibility you may have a false faith. And if you have a false faith, that means you don't have a relationship with Jesus. See, again, Jesus says in Matthew 7.13 that we must enter through the narrow gate and that the gate is Him. You remember John 10.9, Jesus said, I'm the gate. How, how do we know we've entered through the gate? Well, we know we've entered through the narrow gate when we're walking on the narrow road. That's the way of life, church. And it begs the question, what then is true faith? Okay? What is true faith? How can we be assured of our place in the kingdom? Are we talking about a works-based salvation? Is that really what we're talking about here? We know we have faith when we're walking on the narrow road. What does that mean? Well, here's what we need to understand. First, Jesus says that not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom. But that doesn't mean that what someone says isn't important, okay? It doesn't mean that what someone says isn't important. Jesus is not saying that words and that doctrine don't matter. We don't divorce salvation from sanctification. See, our faith is demonstrated through our confession of faith. In part, our faith, our faith is demonstrated through our confession. Paul says in Romans 10, 9 and 10, we quote it a lot around here because it's a really important text. He says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Church, we do not come to the Father except through Jesus, John 14, 6. Therefore, we must believe in Jesus. We must confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. That's where faith begins. That's where our our faith is first demonstrated in our confession. But the point that Jesus is making here, and and so I do my best to make it as well, is, is church, 
Genuine faith is always followed by kingdom living. If we have genuine faith, we're going to walk in the faith. We're going to walk according to Jesus' teaching. Confession leads to action. Jesus said in Matthew 5.17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law. I've not come to abolish the law. I've come to fulfill it. Jesus fulfilled the law not only by what he taught, but also by what he did. Jesus lived a perfect life. Nothing that Jesus taught uh, is something that he didn't demonstrate. Jesus walked the narrow road and he invites us to do the same in his strength, with his power, because after all, he's the one that fulfilled it. He accomplished it. Church, once we've, we've entered through the narrow gate, we're called to walk the narrow road. And if we don't, if we can't demonstrate action that corroborates our confession, our faith is rightly suspect. John agrees. John, in his epistles, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he writes in, in many ways to argue that uh, faith requires action. <laughs> that actions speak louder than words. And so he says in John, 1 John 5.3, he said, this is love for God to keep His commands. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll obey me, didn't He? This is love for God to keep His commands. John Stott says, our final destiny will be settled, Jesus insists, neither by what we are saying to Him today, nor by what we shall say to Him on the last day, but by whether we do what we say whether our verbal profession is accompanied by moral obedience. Church, hear, hear me on this. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. You've heard me say that a few times, amen? Would you say that with me if you can remember it? Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. And, and that alone at the end, that's pretty important. One more time. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone alone. Amen. Good. I'm glad you have that. It's not by works, church. Our, our, our salvation is not won for us by our works. We cannot boast in achieving our salvation. We don't come to Jesus because, because of what we do for Jesus. And that's not what Jesus is saying here. But He is saying that once we come if our faith is true faith, then we will walk according to the kingdom. We will walk the narrow road. And so church, our assurance of salvation isn't rooted in our confession alone. Must we confess? Yes. But it's not rooted in our confession alone. Our confession must be accompanied by our action. Sometimes we, we mean well when we say to somebody who might be struggling in their faith, well, well tell me, when, when did you pray the prayer? When, when did you invite Jesus into your life? And we simply rest in that moment, in that confession. And there's, there's of course, nothing wrong. That's a, a vital part of many of our faith journey. We, we, and all of us who are in the faith must confess Jesus as our Lord. But I say if we leave it at that, we might be giving somebody some false assurance. We might be giving them false assurance. Assurance of salvation is rooted in what we believe but then corroborated by what we do. And so if you come to me and you ask, how do I know if I'm saved? I'm going to ask you, well, what do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus died on a cross as a substitute sacrifice for your sins, as the perfect Son of God? Is that what you believe? Do you believe that He, he rose again and now invites you to, to join Him in this new resurrection life? He invites you to be reborn in Him. 
Do you believe in what he accomplished on the cross and that by putting your faith in him alone that you can be saved? We're going to establish that. It's vital. But then I would ask, so what does your faith look like? Have you demonstrated your faith? What does it look like on you? Are you doing the will of the Father? Now, at this point, we get really uncomfortable. I'm I'm telling you, I'm very uncomfortable saying this to you. Because I know, I know the thought process. I know the pattern of thinking. At least my pattern. And I assume some of you think this way as well. Because we ask, well, how much then do I have to do in order to, to prove my faith? How much do I have to do in order to be assured that I'm going to be saved? How much must my actions match my confession? And I think that's a great question. And I'm afraid I'm probably not going to give you a satisfactory answer. But bear this in mind. Church, the, the Scriptures repeatedly, pointedly, that means on purpose, <laughs> demonstrate characters of great faith who also have great flaws. And they don't, it's not like they, they go, okay, now I solved my flaws, I dealt with it, I'm, I, I fixed this, and now I'm over here, and now I'm of the faith, and I, I don't deal with that anymore. No, it's ongoing. <laughs> In Genesis 15, 6, God credited Abraham righteousness because of his faith. It, righteousness came to Abraham, not by his works, but by what? By faith. But you know what Abraham did just a couple of chapters later? He showed up in a foreign land with his wife, and he got scared. And so he decided, you know what? These people are going to see that my wife is beautiful. Guess what? I'm not going to let them do anything to me. And so here, you know, you can have Sarah. And he handed his wife over to a foreign king. It's despicable. How could he do that? Abraham was was deeply flawed in some significant ways, and yet Abraham is the father of the Jewish nation. he's He's the one God chose to bless all nations through his progeny. Friends, over and over, and we could sit here for hours and talk through all the characters of Scripture, we're going to find flaws in those characters. So, So how much do you have to do to know that you're of the faith? Well, I'm not sure, but I sure know that you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all figured out. There's this thing called grace that covers our inadequacies, that covers our sin. We're not talking about perfection here. But here's here's what we are talking about. I'm convinced. We're talking about intention that's demonstrated by action. There's something in us that keeps us walking that narrow road. Do we bump up against the guardrails? Do we step over the guardrails? Sometimes you bet. But that narrow road is our true north. That's what we're walking. That's what we see. That's what we've subscribed to. We're going to mess up, church. But we know that Jesus is on that narrow road, and we've committed to walking with Him. You know, I can think of several people I know who've come to faith, maybe even in the last couple of years, and they've made a very clear profession of faith. Sometimes I've even had the privilege of being there with them when they've made it. And I can see, not only have they made that profession, that confession, they're also demonstrating it with their actions. There's no reason to doubt your faith if you're walking that narrow road. They didn't earn their salvation. They didn't work for it, but they've responded to it. 
And friends, we can be assured of our salvation. I'm convinced of it. I said John wrote with this in mind. He wrote that that we might not rest uh, simply on a confession, but that our works might demonstrate our faith. But listen to what he says in 1 John 5, 13. John says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Friends, the motivation here is that you can be convinced when I die, I'm gonna go to be with Jesus because Jesus, Jesus has saved me. I have put my faith in what he has done. And I have, I've walked with him. And I know I've messed up. I know I've, I've, I've fallen short over and over and over. But I've said, Jesus, I want to walk this narrow road. How much do you have to walk? I don't know exactly. I don't think much. <laughs> I think you step onto it. And when you fall off, you step back on. And when you fall off, you say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? It, would you, I confess my sins. Would you forgive my sins? Guess what? He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And we can walk back on that narrow road. We can keep trucking. (laughs) So then where do we go from here? Where do we go? Well, very briefly, I want to suggest to you that not in a morbid way, not in a fearful way, but in a good way, we ought to test our faith. We ought to to test it. (laughs) Now, if you're not of the faith, maybe it is fearful. And perhaps that's what Jesus is intending. But if you are of the faith, then, then just, just test it and ask yourself these questions. I borrow these from Morton Lloyd-Jones. I'm going to offer a bunch of them to you, and they're actually in your bulletin there in the to-go questions. So if you want to refer to those, you sure can. We'll have them on the screen here as well. But, but, but ask yourself, do I rely on what I've said to Jesus instead of my living for Jesus? Am I simply relying on what I said to Jesus instead of my living for Jesus? Remember, church, many who confess Jesus as Lord will not enter the kingdom, but the one who does the Father's will is the one who enters. Number two, am I doing the right things for the wrong reasons? Am I going through the motions? Am I showing up to church? But is my heart far from Jesus? Am I placing my trust in what I do only, but there's no evidence of heart transformation? Have I not acquiesced to Jesus' saving grace and Jesus' sovereign lordship? Number three, am I over-relying on or over-emphasizing phenomena or, or signs? Jones says we, we must never be more interested in what we may call the byproducts of the faith than in the faith itself? Am I, am I overemphasizing, placing too much stock in, in mystical signs? Number four, do, do I have an undue interest in the church as an institution while neglecting my relationship with Jesus? In other words, do I see the church as something that's nice? It's a great social agency. I, I enjoy the people there, uh, but, but I'm not really committed to Jesus. I'm not committed to that narrow road. We're to test ourselves. Number five, do I place an emphasis on the social aspects of Christianity over the personal? Over and against the personal. Is my goal to address societal problems while avoiding my own sin problems? Test your faith. Number six, is my, is my faith purely academic? Do I know everything about Jesus? Am I enamored with the knowledge that I can fill my brain with about the Bible, about theology, about who Jesus is, but have I yet to submit my life to Jesus? Number seven, 
Does my doctrine of grace cancel my doctrine of sanctification? (laughs) Sanctification just means growth. Does my doctrine of grace cancel out my doctrine of, of sanctification? Am I so fixated on grace that I've given up on holiness? <laughs> Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, there is no saving doctrine at all apart from the doctrine of grace. Okay? Remember, salvation is what? By, through, in, don't forget the end. Amen. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ alone. That's true. But am I so fixated on grace that I've given up on holiness? That I've said, you know, the the narrow road, it's not really that important. Again, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, there is no saving, I already told you that, there's no saving doctrine at all apart from the doctrine of grace. But we must beware lest we hide ourselves behind it in a wrong way. Church, we must allow the Spirit of God to test our faith. In fact, Paul Paul says it in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Now, church, I've mentioned these questions are in your bulletin. And I've asked Pastor Nate to come and to play for just a few moments. And I'm inviting you, take some time. We often walk out of here. I had a brother say to me, you know, sometimes at the end of your sermon, I just need a little, little time to, to think. And, and I know when you leave here, there's many things awaiting for you. I don't want to jog your, your brain to think about all those things. But, but just pause here and, and open that to-go section in your bulletin and review those questions and allow the Spirit of God to test your faith. And if you haven't yet, confess your faith. Confess your faith in Jesus and then open your heart to walking that narrow road with him. I'm going I'm to speak just a little bit more after this, but, but take a few moments. This is your time. And let's invite the Lord to speak. Thank you.
your friends for, for years. I've told Christy how much I love her. And she knows I meant it. I always did. But it didn't capture her heart, perhaps, in ways that I, I had hoped. And it's finally dawn on, dawning on me after 21 years, and it's been a progressive revelation. So it's not like I, I woke up one day and just figured it out. I, I'm still in process. But that Christy needs to, to see my love in action more than hear about my love with my words. And, and, and maybe as you consider your own faith journey, maybe you've come to realize you're, you're, you're giving a lip service. You're going through the motions. But you're avoiding God's greater calling on, on your life. You're verbally committing to God's will. But you're failing to act on it. And that narrow road is somewhere over here and you know you're not on it. You got to heed Jesus' words. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. If you're not living for Jesus, if your confession hasn't, hasn't influenced your actions, it's appropriate to question your faith. Don't, don't just hear Jesus' words. Put them into action. But as you do, remember our, our calling is to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Because Jesus has already fulfilled the law for us. And, and remember that same grace that brings you into the kingdom of heaven is the same grace that keeps you there. And so if there's anything good in your life, if there's any demonstration of the fruit of God's presence, that too is by grace. And if that's present, so is God. You can have confidence. You can have hope. You can be assured of your salvation. And so in your zeal to demonstrate your faith, let grace temper you. Let grace bring you back down. Let grace remind you, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn over sin, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not those who have achieved righteousness, but blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be, they will be called children of God. Blessed are you when you're persecuted because of righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven church you don't have to have it all figured out you just have to be walking and if you're walking it's because of grace praise be to God you can walk the narrow road because Jesus is there with you let's pray Father, I thank you for this jarring passage because it leaves no room for the notion that somehow you simply delight in saving us and then leaving us to fend for ourselves. But God, that which you require of us 
you equip us for. You've given us the Holy Spirit. When we put our faith in you, when we made that honest, true confession of faith, when we said that we can't do it, I can't do it, I am a sinner, fallen, I'm dead in my sin, I cannot resurrect myself, I need you, and I see, I believe that Jesus, you are the Son of God, that you came to live a perfect, holy life to demonstrate the fulfillment of the law, and ultimately to fulfill that law as my substitute sacrifice. You paid the price for my sin, you satisfied God's wrath against sin on my behalf. You have invited me in. And so I've said, yes, Lord, I've confessed with my mouth. I believed in my heart. And Lord, here I am. Change me. And I want to walk with you. Lord, when I, when I did that, when we did that, we entered into a new and a living way. The old is gone. The new has come. And now here we are. And we're walking on this road as best we can. And we understand that it's not by might, by strength, by our power that we continue to walk but by your grace God you hold us you gently restore us you equip us to walk with you why? because your yoke is easy and your burden is light you've cut the trail for us we simply need to walk in your footsteps Lord may we be a people who are known not only by our confession but also by our action. May we be a people who are known not only for doing the right thing, but doing it with right motives to the glory and honor and name of Jesus Christ. We love you and we trust you with all of these things. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.